Welcome to Persisters, an all-female live show and podcast hosted by Beth Rowe and produced by Alex Kern. Each week we'll play you a piece from our live show followed by an interview between the performer and us, Beth and Alex. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at PersistersLA. My name is Jillian Grassi. I'm going to tell a story and then I'm going to play a song. Uh, the year after I graduated college, I found myself squatting over a keyhole toilet and holding on to two handlebars very tightly uh, as I was being shaken left and right uh, on a moving train in China. And, uh, and it went great. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> uh, which felt appropriate because this whole year so far had just been amazing. I got awarded this like really badass grant was sort of this dream fellowship called a Watson Fellowship that funded me to go through Europe and Asia for a year with my harp. I was like, just winning, just winning hardcore. And I was feeling really confident and really good. Um, I'd started in France and lived in this really cute little garret apartment in Paris. Um, I went to Berlin and Germany and like met someone and the next day was riding with them to some recording studio in Freiburg. Everything was just flowing so well. There's this train that runs from St. Petersburg to Berlin. And in Berlin, I had really good friends. I could leave my harp with them for a bit. You know, I had a safe spot for that. So that was my plan. And um, everything seemed like that was going to work out. Uh, until this one day, I was getting out of the subway with, like, my, you know, crazy harp ensemble. <laughs> and, um, and someone had stolen my wallet. Um, and I'd gotten so confident on this trip that like earlier in the trip, I was really paranoid about keeping everything sort of separate and like little pockets of cash here and there, rolled up in my shoes and stuff. And like, you know, after 12 months of amazing adventures and mostly slaying, I, I got lazy. And so I had not only my wallet gone, so my cards and my money, but also my passports were in there. Um, I'm a dual citizen with Switzerland and the US. Um, so I had missed, I didn't have my, Passports, I had no identification at all. I didn't have any money. I also lost the little slips of paper that you have to get every time you stay in a city in Russia for more than three days. So all of the track record of where I'd been for the past two months. So I was, uh, it was the first time in this trip that I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I really don't. I, don't, I have no idea what to do. And, and I you know, kind of like felt my stomach drop and was starting to have a bit of a panic attack. And then I breathing a bit, and I was like, okay, okay, well, what are, what are the smaller steps to, to address this? And, and the first step is, okay, I probably have to, I have to file a police report. Someone's going to need that. Um, I filled out the police report. I got to the embassy. Um, they were really cool. They, um, you know, helped me get a temporary passport, which is what you do in that situation. I had a place to stay. I was cat-sitting for this cool girl who was off at some music festival, and I was looking after two little cats, Jameson and Erland. The only other kind of major issue was food, um, because I, I just had like a tiny bit of money that I borrowed from a friend, and I kind of needed to keep that for like the public transit. Um, so I was living on the only food she had in her apartment, which was this like sack of grechka, and grechka is kind of like unmilled buckwheat. It's just like raw buckwheat. And, and after one of these really, really long, excruciating days, um, I got back to the apartment, and I said hi to the cats. And as I was rummaging around in the cupboards for cat food, I found this can of mushrooms. And the only issue is that there wasn't a can opener. And so I was in this woman's apartment with her two cats, just like stabbing this can and banging against walls and doing anything I could to open this and completely failing. Um, and it was, just, it was just this really depressing moment when I realized you know, nobody at these consulates knew who I was or cared who I was. They didn't care that I played the harp. They didn't care about my grants and my degrees. And all of my fancy education did not prepare me for just something as basic as opening a can of mushrooms, right, and feeding myself. And so it was this really, you know, sad, sad moment. And then, you know, eventually I did. I found my way home, um, this wonderful, amazing woman at the Swiss consulate, organized a bus for me to go from uh, St. Petersburg to Helsinki, Finland. Um, I took a boat from Helsinki to Rostock, Germany, spent the night in the Rostock train station, took the morning train to Berlin, and finally was able to get home. All the people who'd asked me at the outset whether, wh wasn't I afraid to like go travel abroad alone as a woman? I was like, not really. <laughs> 
Philly's the only town where I'd been you know, held up at gunpoint, right? That's my hometown. I wish that everybody had the chance to, to travel, because what you learn when you travel is that the world is not a scary place at all. There's a couple bad apples who might pit pocket you, but there's infinitely, infinitely more kind and generous strangers who will go out of their way to help you, asking nothing in return. If everyone had to drop down in a place where they didn't speak the language and they were talking like a four-year-old and they couldn't even maybe read the signs and were really helpless, we'd live in a much nicer world and certainly country. But I wrote this song while I was at that girl's apartment in St. Petersburg and it's, um, it's called Borrowed or Begged and it's in gratitude for all of those really kind, awesome strangers who helped me on my journey. and traveler's feet And I got this broken train stop sleep I got miles unfurled in front of me Before I reach my own country I can't count the places I lift my head Seems most of them were about or begged And it may have cost a foot of my own But I know the difference between a house and a home Oh Welcome back to First Sisters. I'm Beth Rowe. And I'm Alex Kern. And today we are here with Jillian Grassi. <gasps> Hello. Hello. Hi, Jillian. So 
glad to be here. Thank you for being here on uh, another hot day. <laughs> Just asked for ice cubes, and <laughs> I uh, asked you to turn on all electrical appliances that yeah, so push air around. A little, if this is a little breezy, apologize. Sound wise, keeping us alive. It's very necessary. We have to. Uh, do you have AC? Actually, this is the first time in my life I've ever lived anywhere with air conditioning. Wait, where, where are you from? No, I'm from uh, Philadelphia first and then a farm outside of Philly. Um, and then I lived in Berlin for a few years before coming here. How long did you live in Berlin for? I think it was almost four years. Wow. So. Do you speak German? Uh, yes, but I'm sort of self-taught by ear, so the grammar is a catastrophe. So if you could say, my name is Jillian. Yeah, my name is Jillian Grassi, and I have self-learned Deutsch. So, yeah, I can a bit speak and more understand. That sounds good. Actually, it's really awful. I'm so embarrassed for anything. You have like a German look, too. So, I. Are you German by. I'm Swiss heritage, actually. So, I'm a dual citizen of Switzerland. Oh, cool. I'm a dual citizen of Canada. That's a good one. It's a good one, but it's not as sexy as Switzerland. But you got that healthcare, right? Yes. Wait, that is so cool. Switzerland, so you speak French and German? I did learn French. I didn't. So it's on my mom's side of the family, and and the Swiss German, which is where my mom's side of the family is from, didn't pass down. So I didn't grow up with anything other than English. Uh, But I did um, spend about half a year in Switzerland when I was a teenager, uh, learning French, doing an immersion thing, and then I did half of my degree in college, Uh, also also in French. I was a comparative literature major, so it was with French and English. Where did you go to school again? I went to Bryn Mawr College. That's okay. Yeah. I went to Is, Sarah Lawrence, and ooh. then you were you're George Wash you're you're Georgetown. Don't sorry, you ever do that again. George, Wash- <laughs> George Washington. She's always like, "Well, you went to George George Washington, and so and so went there." I'm like, "I didn't go to George Washington. <laughs> I went to Georgetown. George Very Washington, different. and they don't like each other. George Washington Town. Yeah. Um, but." Bryn Mawr, and I get this confused with Sweetbriar all the time. Sure, yeah. Where is Bryn Mawr? Bryn Mawr is just outside of Philadelphia. Okay. It was one of the Seven, Seven Sisters colleges, and right. so it's the sister school to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, is it the all women's, women? Yeah, it's still all women. Oh, it's one of the wow. few that's still... Still all oh, women, cool. which isn't something I was like going for when I applied, to be honest. I kind of didn't care one way or another. I was just looking for like a good liberal arts program with a kick-ass creative writing program near Philly. So because I'd already sort of started this music career and I wanted to keep playing on the weekends. Oh. Um, but I will say having done um, the time at Bryn Mawr, it is really different. It is really different to be in a classroom with only women, and I oh, wouldn't have guessed sure. that. Um, yeah, no, there, there's definitely a, a like. I mean, you went to an all girls high school. Totally. Oh, wow. I had oh, yeah. I had boys whipping their dicks out to me, and like a mostly male. <laughs> I can't high even school. imagine. I mean, from K kindergarten through twelfth grade, it was strictly. I mean, I went to the all girls school through the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely an adjustment going into college wow. and being like, there's a man sitting next to me. <laughs> what, what? You know, there That's were like crazy. these nerves that I didn't experience uh-huh. when I was, um, it was a bit of a shocker. And I'm like, I think a little bit more exposure to men in the classroom would have been helpful before like the my, job. But. My mom worked a little bit in education. And so she, uh, she liked that I was going to like an alternative education college, but right. they also, um, my parents were very much aware of the, they thought because I'm not from Minnesota. We just went there for my brother and I went there for high school and the, my parents were very, everyone talks about Minnesota nice, Minnesota nice. And my parents were like, it's bullshit. Like it's complete bullshit. <laughs> Minnesota nice. Like people, like people are Minnesota nice. And my dad's was like, it's so fake. It's not genuine. Oh and God. a lot of the time you think like a woman's being nice, but they're just being, they're just like downplaying their intelligence and just like letting people, they're being a doormat essentially is what mm-hmm. a lot of that is. Well, and that's sort of what I noticed. I mean, I remember in high school, um, you know, there were classmates of mine who were girls who would, you know, lie about getting an A on a test or wow. something to be, um, I don't know, I guess less intimidating to mm-hmm. the guys. And mm-hmm. I, that's insane. And that's bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's a real thing that happens. They're sort of minimizing their own awesomeness sure. to yeah. be non-threatening. Right. And what I noticed at Bryn Mawr, because you can, there was sort of this consortium of schools. So you could also take classes at Haverford, at Swarthmore, and at UPenn. Oh, wow. Right? So all those schools can sort of cross. Um, sure. You know. what, how close were you guys to them? Haverford was really close. Haverford was like a 10-minute bus right away. Swarthmore mm-hmm. was a little more, and UPenn was in, in Philly, so that was like, I don't know, like 30 minutes. Did you ever take any classes at UPenn? Um, I didn't take classes at UPenn. I took a couple at Haverford. I was doing this kind of stupid, insane thing where um, 
I was graduating a year early because I really wanted to get back to music <laughs> full time. Yeah. I'd, I'd sort of I graduated high school uh, early, and then oh, spent we got a little two years a smart uh, lady on our hands here. <laughs> little, well, oh, it was kind oh. of like I was either going to. Um, you know, graduate early as a straight A student from high school, or I was going to drop out senior year and just flunk out because I was so, I have like a three year tolerance level for Hmm. bureaucratic, arbitrary nonsense, basically. Yeah. Wait, so then when you graduated school, did you spend time in Philly or did you? So yeah, so I moved to Philly. Um, you know, it was, it was a interesting moment because I'd been prepared and sort of groomed for a classical music career up until that point. Yeah. Um, I'd been studying, uh, you know, and doing competitions and stuff for harp, but also for, um, you know, classical singing. Yeah. Since you were a child. Yeah, pretty wow. much. So. I mean, harp a bit later, I actually didn't start that till I was a teenager, but, um, singing since I was a child. Um, and, um, and I, you know, at some point sophomore year of high school, I got really excited by this idea of doing contemporary music with the harp and exploring this new territory with it and telling stories through songwriting. And and it was funny because I'd always really segregated the singing and the harp up until that moment. I never sang while I played. Mm. Um, But it just, it was just suddenly so much more compelling to me to try and, you know, do something genuinely new with my instrument rather than, um, you know, looking backwards and trying to just perfect an interpretation of a thing that's existed, which is not to knock um, classical music or Celtic music, which I was also doing a lot of on it's the harp. just combining what you were working on, Yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't know. I mean, the harp's kind of having this little moment in its tiny little harp subculture world, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is to say that, cool. um, you know, like the 70s happened for a guitar, right? And like, I, I, there's brilliant violinists and brilliant piano players, but in terms of room for genuine innovation, it, it's kind of you know, they've been around, right? And the harp kind of died out for a bit there Mm -hmm. and then was pretty exclusively used for traditional Celtic music or classical music. And it's only been in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years or so that people are starting to um, explore jazz on harp and Mm -hmm. uh, harp and popular music. And that's happening, like, right now. And I just wanted to be part of that. Yeah. Wow. So, and that's kind of like, I mean, Joanna Newsom is the first person that I heard playing sure, the harp. Sure, so as she's, a, she's the closest um, anyone of like a singer-songwriter harpist has come to being mainstream. But, you know, she's she's also not exactly a household name. Like she is for, you know, like a certain type of, you know, liberal, college-educated, mm-hmm. whatever, quirky sure, person, right? Sure. But she's not um, a household household name. Mm-hmm. And her music itself is wonderful, but it's also pretty weird, right? It's pretty esoteric. It's yeah, not It's completely. not what I would describe as, like, a mainstream right. sound. Mm-hmm. Um, is she the one who's married to, to Andy Samberg? <laughs> okay, I didn't want to, like, say it and then be an idiot. Andy Samberg's like, no, wife? No, that's a completely <laughs> different harpist. Um, yeah. I love I mean, that they're married. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I, I just, um, you know, Florence the Machine has a harpist. There's sort of harps popping up more and more as kind of like side elements in various popular yeah. music groups. Hmm. Um, but I just really, you know, it may not be me that does it, but I really believe strongly that the harp can function as a lead instrument in a in a mainstream music setting. And um, that hasn't happened yet. It'd be cool to... Why do you think it hasn't happened yet? Um... For one, the population of harpists is small compared to other instruments. Mm. That's a lot to do with um, the fact that it's not in the public school system. Like most kids who start learning instruments, you know, get instruments loaned by their school and the lessons are at school, the school orchestra or band, um, and very few schools have harps, right? So that creates a financial barrier to start with in that if you want to play harp, you have, uh, to buy one. you have to buy one or rent one. Your parents have mm. to be able to do that. You have to get private lessons. It's expensive, Got right? It. Um, and then, you know, the population of already small harpists, right? Mostly those harpists are not, they're interested in in the Celtic and the classical stuff. That's the main path. Um, so then the percentage of harpists you have who are at all interested in, you know, contemporary music or jazz is tiny. And then it sort of just gets progressively tinier and tinier. Um, and then, you know, you have a small pool and, you know, not every, not, there's a lot of like Kenny G's of, of jazz harp. Let's put it that way. Right. Oh, so there's, there, there are some amazing people doing amazing work, but it's small, right? It's really tiny. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say that's probably the best explanation for why that makes sense. No one's broken. Sure. Completely. Yeah. And, um, do you, are you in a band right now? No. Um, I sometimes, uh, 
have other musicians come on and I've had very sort of like band formats, but it's always been, um, kind of temporary because yeah. I haven't, it's so expensive to tour with a band basically sure. is what it boils down to. And mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little control freakish about, like, I don't necessarily want to compose with someone else. Like I, I like writing uh, my own songs. Yeah. Sometimes I, I fantasize about, you know, I'm really envious of bands that have this amazing, you know, juju and can just write together, but I've never had that experience uh, so far. And at the end of the day, I kind of always want to be able to call the shots. Sure. So, but, I mean, the yeah. thing, same thing goes for a comedy. You know, for so long, I was fighting to find someone to write with. Mm-hmm. And it's such a rare thing. It's like the chemistry has to be right in so many ways. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, there have been a lot of like forced relationships and also relationships that just like didn't necessarily survive (laughs) that um so and then ultimately I think it is a great skill to be able to you know know how to create on your own yeah I mean it's harder than dating right finding your you know creative yeah oh man I mean we yeah Yeah. I mean yeah you're very (laughs) lucky it's like yeah yeah. pardon I said we're very lucky Beth and I yeah um Mm-hmm. To have this found each other. <laughs> yeah. Beth is just looking at me like, no, I what thought, are you I saying? You- are you proposing? And I was like, oh, maybe she doesn't feel the I same thought, way. I thought about- you were talking about Neil. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> but um, I do make stuff with my boyfriend and that is a really, it's, it's just, it's, I feel very lucky to have a partner who's also someone who I collaborate with. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm just so grateful that I can, you know, give him a script or talk about an idea and we can hash it out together. And I like really respect his opinion and mm-hmm. his skills as a writer. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really hard to find. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, and I operate very differently in my relationship. Like mm-hmm. he is like, we both like, like I, I do this and you do that. And if we want to talk about anything, like we can, but like I do me, you do you. Yeah. That's great too. I have it, never dated a musician intentionally, like another musician. <laughs> Because it Got felt like it. bringing, you know, like dating in the office. It just felt kind of messy. Yeah. Potentially mm-hmm. really messy. <laughs> That's smart. Um, it can be know. the most convenient thing in the world, but I could I could see how that could also be messy. I'm realizing that I didn't button my dress. Well, it <laughs> hasn't. The, just the top button hasn't been buttoned for a while. It's and really I was going to say something, and then I was like, oh, I think she did that on purpose. It was really hot, so I unbuttoned my dress. But it doesn't look like... It's just that kind of day. Too, yeah. yeah. I'm going to button my dress. <laughs> Yes. I, I took I graduated early from high school and I took some time to try and figure out, you know, do I want to go to conservatory? Do I want to do liberal so arts? So smart. I wish more people would do that and that wasn't encouraged. Well, in my the parents US. were so cool about it, which is great. I mean, I made it easy. Like, you know, I always was a good student. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sitting around the house getting high. Like I was hustling. I was working yeah. as a nanny and working at a coffee shop and making my first EP and sort of doing a bunch of open mics in Philly. Whoa. Um, cause I had no idea like what, you know, like I knew I liked the music of being a singer songwriter, but I had no concept of what that career might look like, whether anyone else was interested in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to check that out. So I started doing that. I put out an EP um, and, uh, and what I really wanted to do is go to like a jazz harp program. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were only two in the country at the time and neither of them were ones I really wanted to go to for like different Berkeley reasons. Berkeley was one of them. The other one was in Arizona where I didn't want to live. And I, no, you know, I, you. Um, so I ended up deciding no to go. No offense to anybody in Arizona. That's Love you guys. Me. Yeah, it's just too hot. <laughs> um, and not near anything. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up going to Bryn Mawr because uh, I'd sort of started this little thing happening in Philly. And I, I had yeah. this idea that I was going to lump my classes like Monday through Thursday and then tour on the weekends, which I did, which was stupid. What? I never slept. It was awful. Um, but, um, you know, I, 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 Bryn Mawr doesn't even have a music program. And that was also kind of deliberate. I, I figured like if I wasn't going to do it at a conservatory level, I should just not do it at college, study what you know, there's going to be amazing professors to teach me in. And then I got sort of my musical education uh, on my own in Philly with other awesome non-harpist musicians. How are you so wise and <laughs> like focused at such a young age? Yeah. Because I was raised on a farm by hippies without television or video games. Really? <laughs> Which is how you end up doing something weird like playing the Celtic harp. Which is why, oh this is why was it you that told me that um, Steve Jobs, what was it, Steve Jobs and... Um, 
and Bill Gates raised their kids tech free. Uh huh. And which is oh, just like really <laughs> definitely wasn't you that told me that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But it, like insane that like yeah. I'm yeah. like anti video games. Yeah, I, I mean, just it freaks me no out when people's people. kids have like those screens mm-hmm. like at a very early age. Yeah, in a strange twist of fate, I went to the E3 like Xbox announcement conference thing. Yeah, because I was I, that a VidCon that, when you just no, went to, no, no, that oh, wasn't okay. a VidCon. It was a different thing. There was like oh. this annual gigantic thing. I had no idea, you know. But I was I was you know working um, on this video um, with my writing and producing partner Zach for Xbox, right, 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 right. Zach Anner, and uh, and so you know we got invited by Microsoft to go to this thing, and it was so crazy because. Wow. You know, like there's this energy in the room of, you know, all these super fans, right, who are part of this world that I was not part of at all. And so like a little preview thing would come across a screen. There'd be like a helmet or like a tiny little thing. And the room would just sort of erupt in like exciting excitement, you know, and I I would have to wait a good 10 seconds to catch up to figure out, oh, oh, it's Halo. Okay, that's the thing I've heard of. Right. You know, wow. <laughs> but it was kind of cool. Like it was, yeah. it was, it was like a completely different world. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, it's kind of fun to see people's reactions and then kind of catch up to. Uh, I mean, that's just my life. I miss all pop culture references for the most part. It's because you didn't have a TV, right? I still don't. I've never had an apartment. I've TV. never. Wow. I this is my first, and when I moved in here, was my first time getting a television, and that's not even mine. That's, yeah, that's Peter's. So, like, I've never even all throughout college, really? up until I was. 30 years old. I wow. never had a television. Because you were like, I don't need one. I can watch whatever I, I watch want. Whatever I watch whatever I want on my, on my computer. And I always just, I didn't, um, I, I didn't want to time suck. I also didn't want to <laughs> like have a, like, I didn't want to stay in my apartment all the time yeah. and, and do nothing. It's a problem. Like the fact that I have access to things like Netflix now yeah. definitely cuts into my productivity. And it's weird because part of what I've been doing out here has been, you know, kind of, um, video TV related uh, and yeah, an unexpected so twist. So like I do actually have like some of that is legitimately work. Yeah. It's but, hard. Yeah, um, talk about your transition into that <laughs> because I don't know, actually don't know anything about it. Right. So, I mean, it's evolving. It's evolving in real time. I also don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> She's becoming an influencer. <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I was pretty much a full-time musician for the last 10 years. Uh, and, wow. and then, um, you know, I was living in Berlin. Berlin, I met this amazing comedian called Zach Anner. He has a cerebral palsy and right. um, he's just brilliant. He's hosted a bunch of shows and puts out great content and has all these viral YouTube videos. I met videos. him at our show. But yeah. you met him in Germany? No, I actually met him in LA. I was doing um, a tour and I was playing a house concert in the Hollywood Hills and he came to that. We were sort of mutual friends. We met like, on Twitter. Like recently? <laughs> or like, no, like five years ago. I loved tw- hearing about Twitter yeah. friends. Yeah, we basically were mutual friends. I, I liked one of his travel shows that he did um, for Reddit called Riding Shotgun. Hmm. And um, and then he really liked my music and bought all my records. And then we just he came to a show of mine and then we kind of just kept in touch. Um, mm. And where this is all leading is is uh, he um, he had a, 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 a book uh, deal and uh, I worked with him on the proposal for that. Uh, very informally, it was kind of like, oh, you know, I've got this proposal and I can't quite figure it out. And I was like, well, some of your some of your sample chapters, I'll take a look. And then we just really. Um, worked well together in that context. So I ended up writing the whole book with him. So it's a memoir called If at Birth You Don't Succeed. Um, Whoa, I love that title. Yeah. That's great. It's good. It's out. It's out. You can get it on, you know. Oh, it's out now. Yeah, it came out in hardcover 2016 and then paperback last year. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, That's also why I met David Crabb, actually. Yeah. Okay. And David Crabb, just to clarify, (laughs) is is an incredible man and storyteller and actor. the best. And teacher. And writer. And And that's how you guys met. You met in his class. Yeah. His storytelling. We took a storytelling workshop together. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, sort of through Zach, you know, I, I would go back and forth between the U.S. and Berlin. You know, I traveled a lot generally because of, you know, music is touring. Um, and uh, I would just sort of, I, I kind of fell into um, producing some stuff for Zach just because uh, I have a bit of a character flaw wherein I am incapable of um, watching a situation devolve that I might be helpful in and not inserting myself aggressively into that situation to uh, uh-huh. 
to uh, to do what I can to to save the the baby, or whatever. Um, that metaphor got weird, but <laughs> but you know what yeah. I mean. So I, yeah. I basically aggressively pushed my way into some some productions where everything was falling to pieces, and like I could see what was happening, and um, it turned out I was pretty good at that, and that was called producing. Um, and uh, and a, a few of the videos that I, I produced for Zach ended up doing really really well, mm-hmm. and um, and then what brought me out here was we. Um, we co-created this uh, web series on climate change uh, that got picked up by the digital branch of Participant Media. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool. and I ended up showrunning that, which was another oh gosh, surprise. that's incredible. So it's been this new hat, really just about a year and a half that I've been wow. dabbling in this world. I feel a little bit like a jerk because there's a lot of friends I have who went to film school and have been out here hustling for six years and kind of just getting these things serendipitously. That's uh, just what you, that's like, you're just in this, you, that you just have to do that. You right. go wherever creatively <laughs> people are like, yeah, you, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right. You, you want to turn it down. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. So Zach, Zach convinced me to move here. Uh, and, um, and I was, I, it was hard. I loved Berlin. Berlin was a really hard city to leave. Um, I've never been. Oh my God. I know. If you go, I hear it's let so me incredible. know. I have oh, so many yes. recommendations Absolutely. and amazing people. That's cool. But also, you know, if you can find a cheap flight at some point, it's not expensive once you're there. Really? Really. Yeah. Really. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. The cost of living is very reasonable. It's why, it's why so There's many so artists, artists go yeah. there. Um, that makes sense. You know, rent's about half what it is here, if not a little more. Oh, well, not a little less, I mean. Um, wow. But I'd kind of, um, you know, I'd, I'd, in Berlin, I'd, I'd you know, kind of made a play for like the German music market as a backdoor to the US one. And I'd, I'd, um, I'd had uh, two major label negotiations that didn't end up in contracts I could sign. And there was sort of no one left professionally in music for me to uh, really work with there. And so the only reason to stay there was because I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and uh, and Wait, then. So, how old were you when you left Berlin? Oh, this was last year. Oh, you left? I left Berlin, like, last May. That's yeah. hard to leave when yeah. you're, like, kind of... In love with the city? Yeah. yeah. And also, like, a little bit of nesting. We were just talking... We talked about that, about leaving New York. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. And you leaving New York when right. you're just, like... Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I never wanted to live in L.A. Um, yeah. Uh, it wasn't a city that drew me. It's an obvious place to go for, for entertainment stuff, sure. of course. Um and I just sort of was like, oh, traffic. And to be honest, I kind of like winter and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and the sort of sprawl of it, this like, you know, endless strip mall purgatory thing was, was you know, that's a good way to just um, endless strip mall purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> Write that down. It didn't it didn't draw me. And um, and so, you know, in Berlin was somewhere I just fell in love with immediately and, sure. and fantasized about living in for a couple of years before I got to move there. So it was hard. Um, but. Uh, after the first six months, um, when I was producing that show that I didn't expect to produce and, uh, and had no life and was working 15 hour days and playing mm, yeah. like zero music, that was a right. really abrupt transition. Cause I went from, you know, having a really clear sense of my community and who I was and my identity to coming here and not really knowing how, intru- how to introduce myself at parties anymore. Right. Like, yeah. you know, sure. uh, I hadn't played a show in six months, which mm-hmm. was crazy, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that was a that was a rough adjustment, but I will say it's Ellie's treated me very well, and I've met more and more great people, and I'm That's doing cool. music again, which That's feels great. really good. Yeah. Um, Where what kind of shows do you have coming up? Oh, I just finished a bunch, so I have to book another one coming up. I just played um, at Barlubich, which is a really oh, cute is venue. So great. I want to play there again. I'm gonna I'm gonna book another show there. Such a great venue. And yeah. In the past, I've played at the Mint and the Hotel Cafe. Those are kind of the okay, cool. the, the little singer songwriter venues I frequent. Yeah. And then house concerts. I play a lot of house concerts, and I oh, love those. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, That'll be cool. Yeah, be like a great instead of having like a piano player, <laughs> have a harpist. Why not, yeah. Paula, for her parties? I know, right? right? <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so it's that. been it's been a weird it's been a weird year, but a good one. A good yeah. one. Yeah. A lot of growing. How, what was it like the music scene in Berlin, and how did you navigate that? Being yeah. an English speaker, did you have friends there? So here's the deal. Um, generally across Europe, uh, whether or not their English is great, most artists are writing in English at this point. 
Wow. Um, Interesting. And that's because this is actually what I did. So after I graduated from Bryn Mawr, I got this crazy dream grant called a Watson Fellowship. So which is what you were talking about. It's kind of like a Fulbright but cooler because <laughs> there's no um like you're not affiliated with an institution you are completely independent you have to be out of the u.s for a whole year and you aren't allowed to align yourself for extended periods of time with any you know wow universities or programs it's supposed to be an independent study project in wow. the purest sense of that um and so mine was was looking at uh ways that um you know, the digitalization of music and, you know, post Napster and everything sort of being online uh, was impacting non-English and non-Western music scenes. Um, and so, you know, in France, uh, for example, and also in Germany, um, you know, you'd get these up and coming singer songwriters who were writing in English because they, you know, the, the internet is a global market. Sure. And they just figured they couldn't compete um, if they did it in their native languages. The bummer of that is, though, very few, there are some, there's some amazing artists, and and particularly I'm thinking of this band in Berlin called Me and My Drummer that are just Hmm. fucking incredible. But, um, you know, a lot of those artists, their lyrics aren't, like, they're not, they're not at a level where, you know, their English is at a point where the songs are are really effective. Um, And simultaneously, you're losing a generation of, you know, music in French or in German or whatever. Yeah. And what's, you know, kind of, there's these really rich um, musical traditions in all those uh, languages mm-hmm. and countries. And, um, you know, languages have these kind of built-in meters to them, right? Like English is that classic iambic pentameter Shakespeare thing, right? Like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? Like Dr. Seuss. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It's the same sort of pattern, rhythmic pattern of, of like emphasis um, mm-hmm. and cadence that just English lends itself to. Sure. But there's a different meter for French. And I, I'm blanking on the name of their iambic pentameter. It's a different thing. It's a different gait. And likewise for German. So um, that, of course, impacts music, right? The type of music you create with, you know, if there's lyrics involved are, are wedded together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting really kind of heady. I'm feeling no, like a college okay. no, professor no, right no, now. No, I love it. I was just thinking but, um, of Carla Bruni's song. Yeah. That was the only French song that popped into my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just, you know, there are there are people that are still, um, artists that are still making music in their, in their native languages or doing it in both English and in whatever. Um, but I, I am really sad. That's sort of one major downside I feel about just sort of the global prominence of English, which is mostly really convenient. Right. <laughs> um, but from a purely, you know, artistic sense, you know, it's, it's because the British and the American music markets were so strong and so powerful. You get into a taxi in Thailand and you hear Britney Spears, mm-hmm. right? So or you're in, uh, you know, uh, Indonesia and it's Oasis, Wonderwall. Everywhere right. I went to, people were playing covers of Wonderwall. That was the one song that was literally <laughs> everywhere. I did a brief, <laughs> wow. I did a brief stint in like the fitness world of LA uh-huh. and the and learning about how like Britney Spears' music is all the same counts, yeah. right? Yeah. So that they do that for exercise so that they'll play it in gyms and, and they'll dancing. play it oh, and for bye, dancing. Bye, bye, bye. But it's like, it's, yeah, know, yeah. it just, it's, in it, the, it, it's, for, it's like timed out for spin classes. I think it's like 120 beats per minute. I think that's wow. the thing. It's like the staying alive thing. That's the rhythm for like CPR mm-hmm. compression. It's like a thing. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I think that's 120 mm-hmm. beats per minute. I could be wow. misremembering that, but yeah, that's the thing. It's insane. <laughs> it's like I, yeah. they, they go like they make it so it can be mass produced and just played for all kinds of different. I things. just yeah. knew that like there are the same note. Every pop song is like A, C, E. And so uh, you're talking about the chord progression. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And um, there are really common, you know, chord progression tropes that you hear over and over again. Right. And um, that's not necessarily awful. Like, I no. think it's kind of amazing how yeah. many different songs you can have Completely. that follow that same root structure sure. and sound so different yeah. uh, because of the tone, because of the melody, because of the lyrics, because of the rhythm. Um, and that's kind of what's so endlessly fascinating to me about songwriting in particular as an, as an art form. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's sort of a bit humble in the, in like, it's not a, it's not a concerto and it's not a, uh, 
a giant oil painting and I think yeah. it's not a novel, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think people kind of um, think of it as like a simpler art form, but I found the complete opposite. I found that there's so many layers and levels at which you can be operating and so many things in your toolbox um, from the words and the rhythm and the melody and the harmonic structure and the accompaniment and the production and the vocal approach and the tone and the way you, you know, harmonize um, that you have at your disposal to communicate an idea or tell a story. And uh, at the same time, you have this real economy of language, right? Like you have very Mm -hmm. few words for Mm -hmm. the most part. Like most people aren't writing 10 minute songs with, you know, Bob Dylan lyrics that go on and on and on. It's it's cool when they do, but that's not for the most part how that, how that works. And so, you know, and, and traditionally or often, you know, there's a chorus where those lyrics repeat. So it's very few, you have very little space really to get across what you're trying to get across. And that's exciting because if you're a lyric nerd like me, it means you start looking for ways that, um, phrases and words can do double work, right? Like not just function in one literal way, but also have a connotation to something else that, you know, um, enhances the song. Yeah. Um, or if there's a way with the verses to make the same lyrics in the chorus feel different, um, you know, by the third chorus because of something that happened in the bridge, right? Suddenly there's a different twist to, mm-hmm. um, to the way you've been listening to that, those lyrics of that chorus. What artists are you listening to now that you're surprised by or um, admire? So I've been kind of on this um, kick where I, I really um, I really like a lot of the sort of electronic music hmm. um, that I'm hearing that has um, song structure to it and lyrics, right? So I'm not talking about EDM or um, ambient, you know, whale sound stuff. Uh, I'm talking about... Um, you know, like Sylvanesso and um, Chet Faker and Francis and the Lights. I don't know if those are at all on your radar. I James know, Blake. James Blake. Okay. No, yeah. yeah. So really compelling voices. M83. Is that no, kind see, of? I don't know. I'm going to look them okay. up. Yeah. yeah. French. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine the Queens would be another Love example. Her. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Great. So there, there's real songs there. Right. And there's lyrics and there's a voice and there's a real sort of structure that you can hang on to. But sort of swirling around all that is this incredible palette of electronic sounds um mixed with the organic sounds and instruments and i just um you know bjork i'm a big huge fan of bjork mm-hmm. um so I, I i'm finally um teaching myself uh slowly begrudgingly how to use um ableton <laughs> which is a music software program that you know helps you do some of that production yeah. i kind of always thought i would meet my like dream yeah, electronic music producing partner. Uh, and I thought that would happen in Berlin, but it was all just house music. And, uh, you know, instead of waiting for the right one, I'm finally, uh, finally trying to teach, learn it myself. So, so like Pitch it. Perfect and like the opening scene of Pitch Perfect with Annie Kendrick doing her chords. That's what you're learning. You know, I wish I knew that film I don't well know. enough to, oh, to know so what funny. you're talking about. Oh my gosh. About. Funny story about Pitch Perfect is that I had the flu. This was like a few years ago in New York. It was so bad. And I was like, I need to rent a movie. So I rented Pitch Perfect and it was exactly what I needed because it was like a happy movie and it was super cheesy, but like fun and well done. Mm -hmm. And you know, you only have 24 hours to watch these rentals. I I set my alarm (laughs) for 6.30 the next morning to watch it again. I did that with The Post. You did? I did because I I paid to rent The Post and then like, you know, shit happened. I got busy and I couldn't watch it and then it was going to expire and I'm a cheapskate and I didn't want to pay like five bucks again. So I I literally set an alarm early before it worked to finish. It. And it was amazing. Worth it. That's Definitely so worth it. It's a great story. Um, but yeah, I know that would be a case of me not having enough. Like I know enough of pop culture to understand what, what Pitch Perfect is and be aware of its yes. existence. But I <laughs> yes. do not know the scene you're talking about. <laughs> it's so like I, I have all this stuff in my head. And what's frustrating about being an adult is, you know, like I've gotten to a level of fluency with the harp where it's like I have an idea and it's not a long distance for me to then play it right like I can pretty quickly or instantly seamlessly that's what fluency is right like just go from my Mm -hmm. head abstract idea to to something other people can hear and engage with right Mm -hmm. and uh, I have none of that fluency with uh you know the computer shit um like anything so it's like it's uh it's like learning a new language and uh the trouble with doing that as an adult is like like people always talk about how hard it is to learn languages or instruments as an adult. Right. And I don't think it's, I mean, maybe there's some stuff with the brain neuroscience that's, that's real. But I think the bigger component is simply that when you're an adult, 
you don't want to be shitty at things anymore. Totally. And when you're a kid, you don't have a choice because you're shitty at everything, oh, right? Like yeah. that's just how it is. It's honestly like that's why I like to point. be in a class and like no matter what the <laughs> class is, whether it's like taking a yoga class, taking a writing class, taking a something like, it's just like a continuing education, taking a class, Beth, we get it. <laughs> but just to feel that like, somebody's going to teach me something that I didn't know before, yeah. or I'm going to learn something from somebody else in my class that I didn't know before. And like to come into it humbly and, and, and be like, I'm here to learn something and mm-hmm. to take knowledge in is something that is a, is, is a muscle you have to exercise or else you just become a monster. I think That's totally like such a good point. My boyfriend has asked me to be like, um, for his softball team when they need like a fill in, what's it called? A, a substitute. Right. Yeah. And I was like, no, and he's like, why not? And I was like, A, I don't want to drive to the west side <laughs> on a Sunday. Sorry. But B, I don't want to be bad. Yeah. Like, I didn't grow up being a softball player. And granted, it's whatever. It's more softball than it is baseball. But I'm like, and I'm like athletic, but I'm like, still, I would like a lesson before I sign up for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, I love learning new things. But... And I'm, I'm taking, uh, this sounds really corny, but I'm taking tango lessons right now, which oh, I cool. started getting into in Berlin. And uh, I joined CrossFit. I'm starting to do oh, that, which cool. I'm super addicted to. Oh my gosh, to. I've never done CrossFit before. So it's, it's like there's certain things and realms where I'm fine not being good. But when it comes to like, you know, your professional world or your craft or something that is wrapped up in your identity as oh, being sure. really great at something. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very difficult to uh, and frustrating to go backwards. And um, I mean, other people's psychology is perhaps less perfectionistic than mine and, and has, has no, more tolerance. No, it stems from what, totally. on whatever your scale is. It's like yeah. to go back to trying something new is like can I just master a thing and make a bunch of money at it yet? Please? Where's my fucking montage? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my montage sequence? And then right. it's oh, done, yeah, right? Completely. Like, yeah. with like you the know, flames or yeah. the fire. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I'm just good at the thing. Can we just do that? I, I remember so vividly, I did this like stand up show at UCB. It was like Wednesday at 10 30, and there were like three timeout comics to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing storytelling. And I think some people did character, but it was predominantly a stand-up show and I bombed Mm -hmm. so hard and I could just feel it happening and it was so awful (laughs) and I just stopped performing for like I think a year it like really it was bad but I was also working a crazy job so I like didn't have time to like perform and all the things but you know when you care about something so much Mm -hmm. and you're like but they didn't get me, you know. I think that's what it really boils down to, right? Like, you want to be known. Like, mm-hmm. it is a luxury to be understood. I feel like that's a quote from someone. It's not mine. I don't know. Well, we um, might just quote you. But, there have um, been a lot of quotables here. But, yeah, like, you know, we all have these, like, worlds in us, and, and we don't have fucking telepathy, so we have all these art forms and other ways that we try to connect with people. And when you're trying really hard to put yourself out there because you really want whoever you're talking to or whatever audience you're talking to to get it to like connect with what's happening inside of you and there's just like it's just falling flat and there's just like this wall and you're not cutting through and people are looking at you like they have no idea it's It's, It's it's hard it's hard it's hard to because it is it's like it's like parallel parking it's like (laughs) You're, you get it, you miss it. You're like, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I got this. And then you do it and you make like one wrong mm-hmm. turn and you're like, fuck, do I, do I just go find something else? Or do <laughs> I just like go back, take a breath and then remember how to do it? And then, cause that happens a lot to yeah. me. I feel like with parallel parking, with par- not, I'm really good at parallel parking. So I get performance but like, anxiety with parallel oh, parking. If someone's sense. in the car, I'm great. Oh, at it if somebody's own. in the car, I like, I'm like, I'm like, this is a show. Watch. <laughs> Same. Because I'm so good. Same. I oh want you gosh. to talk like that, just like at random points popping this in my earbuds throughout my life. You got this, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just be my like little motivational speaker yeah. in like yeah. some earbud? I'm going to make an app for that. Please do. I would Please. buy that. We shit. could all use it. Yeah. Yeah. You got this. For all the, all the listeners out there, from those listening in Los Angeles to Minneapolis, <laughs> Las Vegas, to... King Garden, Ontario. You got this. Wow. Girl. That's we are an international podcast. By wow. Way. Yeah, that was so a specific. Oh, wait, my sister's Berlin. listened to it. Yeah. She lives in London. So we've got there we Paris. Go. We've got London. Yeah. Who's Amazing. in Paris? Uh, oh, your friend, friend Jamie <gasps> listens to it in Paris. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, so the storytelling thing, the live performative storytelling thing is a new one for me. And that's a scary one because... You don't get audience reaction all the time because it's... Well, and like, you know, like I do this, I've I've been performing music for a long time and I'm pretty confident in that and like whatever. And and I, I banter between songs on stage and I love that, but it's also incredibly safe, right? Because if anything I'm saying in between songs flops... I just play a song and we're fine, right? It's like You're forgotten. Like, yeah. It's got a harp. Got Beautiful. them back. Yeah. It, yeah. We're moving You're along. You're like, wow, they forgot about that. Right. Yeah. But when it's just me and a microphone on stage, I feel so naked. I don't know what to do with my hands. And if something yeah. starts to go wrong, I don't have the toolkit yet to save it you realize you've completely lost the thread and you're still talking and you're trying to talk your way back to the thing. And what do I do? And there's just like faces that are, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's It's an interesting thing for me is I'm, I'm a little bit the opposite because, uh, I'm like a rudimentary guitar player Mm -hmm. and singer songwriter. That is, um, when I do that and it's very much a personal thing that I do for myself and not for other people. Mm -hmm. So then like if I'm just standing on stage with the microphone, I feel the I feel the most confident. Wow! And then if you start adding things for me to do, it becomes like, <gasps> oh my god, like oh, oh then I'm, I can't mess this element up because then I'm gonna so just because it's it's just the thing that I haven't done right the right, longest right. you know. I used to do cabaret shows in New York. Ooh, and tell me more. I know it was pretty fun. I just like started singing and auditioning. It was crazy. Wait, I, like, I didn't know you sang. I mean. I have like a like shower singing, you know what I mean? I mean, I I'm know. not really I'm not trained. I don't know how to use my voice you well, but like I have a voice underneath there. Uh-huh. Um and uh I just remember because I don't have a lot of experience singing on stage, just getting on stage and my like knees were shaking. They were and I was like, "Why am I wearing heels? What's going on?" And I was like, "Can I do this?" And I I was like, it was the most vulnerable I've ever felt yeah. on stage. Like mm-hmm. and I and I think about singers and I'm just like, "How do you do it?" Like it's so I don't it's like such an intimate like literally your soul, the, <laughs> your voice is coming out and you're sharing these sounds and you can't I don't know. It's just like, I don't know how you do it. There's a lot of singers, though, who feel that way about stand-up, which I assume yeah. you feel very differently it's about. A lot, so. It's true. Standing yeah. in front of a crowd with mm-hmm. a microphone can either be a person's like wet dream mm-hmm. or nightmare. Right. Totally. Right. And what's interesting for me in trying this new stuff is it's felt like home being on stage for a long time now, for like a, many, many years with music. And now it's, uh, it's interesting to, to get out there on stage and have it be scary. Like, I almost don't know. I don't have, uh, like, the best uh, coping mechanisms for, for stage fright because I never got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I never used to have it. Wine. It's, it's interesting. Wine? wine? Yeah, oh. wine's good. I can't drink before I perform. Oh, I really like to have a glass of something. Not, not like, one if glass I, before. If I two, it makes two, it too hard. It's yeah. too hard. It's too hard. It goes over the edge. Uh, then I just start not being great. I'm not like a Keith Richards. I can't. doesn't enhance anything that's so funny <laughs> but um but was, yeah the hard stuff i think for him the hard stuff yeah well you're just not doing enough drums yeah i think that's you know, it <laughs> shoot up a few times yeah, yeah. That, we'll do that okay come to our next show we're mm. all gonna do a bunch of drugs yeah it's Lines going the to be great with a black hat. <laughs> yeah yeah Will you let us know when you have shows next? Yes, I absolutely will. And um, I don't know when this is coming out, but if something happens between now and then that gets on the books, I'll let you know. Yeah, please do. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was wonderful. And I feel so much cooler now. (laughs) You guys are already total badasses. (laughs) 